0: Welcome friends and listeners, I'm Francine Perolla from Smart Loving. Our conversation today is about holiday traditions and how they play out in our relationships. With me today is my co-host, Laura Kane. She's uh, recently returned from maternity leave. Great to see you, Laura.
1: Thanks, Fran. Great to be back.
0: And we're also joined today by Kiara Black. Um, Kiara is the mother of three toddlers and a long-time contributor to Cath Family, a free online database for Catholic families and catechists. She's just submitted her research thesis in Vatican diplomacy, and she also happens to be my daughter and the mother of my three granddaughters. Kiara, thank you for joining us.
2: That's okay.
0: We're looking forward to hearing uh, your wisdom and thoughts, ladies. But before we get into that, can you share with our audience a God moment that for you in the past few days? Who'd like to go first?
2: You go, Kiara. So I suppose a little, mo- little moment we had was uh, Sunday, dragging all three children up to mass. We walked, which is about two kilometres, up a pretty steep hill, uh, with, uh, two, t- two big girls in a double pram and the third one in the backpack on Doug. And, um, they were not the best behaved children in mass. They certainly weren't the worst, but they were, they, they definitely kept, they definitely were ample distractions and, um, uh, and in the heat is in the heat as well. So, uh, we got back from, we got back from mass at about 1130 and we're just <laughs> it's like, Oh, can we go to bed yet? <laughs> but it was good to have them at mass. They, appreciate being there even if you know they keep asking are we finished yet after the (laughs) after the homily
0: (laughs) that's almost two two k's with little toddlers that's like almost like the Camino. That's yeah,
2: epic. Well, <laughs> we wouldn't go quite that far. We didn't do it on our knees. We're not that, we're not quite ready for purgatory yet. Um, and um yeah. it's um going to mass with your own children is always an eye opener with how they interact with the things going on in church, you know, going on during the mass. And you, you see things that you never noticed before, or they'll ask you a question of why do I have to do that? Like, good question. I don't actually know. I'm going to need to go find out. And um yeah, it was just a a whole hour and a half or so, hour, you know, two-hour uh, God experience, shall we say, rather than just a moment of uh, everything, joys, sufferings and the whole lot in between.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> what about you, Laura?
1: I wanted to say my God moment was at a talk that the Archdiocese of Sydney held recently. Um, a speaker called Matt Frad came and visited. He's actually Australian but lives in the USA and came and gave a talk on Our Lady. And there was one line that just um, stuck with me. He talked about, he said that Our Lady gave milk to our bread, so referencing Mary breastfeeding Jesus. And obviously we're in Advent at the moment, so coming up to Christmas and reflecting on the birth of Christ and just God became man and was a helpless baby who needed to be breastfed and Our Lady provided milk for the bread of life and I've just been reflecting on that um especially as I'm breastfeeding it's such so beautiful mm. Mm, it is lovely
0: isn't it actually I now you you reminded me of it I um noted it at the time but i would forgotten it's a beautiful theological point isn't it
2: yeah mm. so special just well, my... um, do us a favor Laura don't go looking up like medieval images of lactating Mary uh, there's some real weird ones in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> real
1: weird ones. Oh, now you've evoked my curiosity. Yeah, yeah it's, um.
2: it's, it's actually a really common devotion. It used to be a really popular devotion, the, the Madonna Lactans, uh, the okay. nursing, nursing mother. And yeah. um, it, it's really, really popular in the Middle Ages, kind of fell off um, in sort of the pious traditions sort of towards the 17th century, and it's just starting to come back, wow. come back around but that's the whole thing of the the of uh, La Leche League was yes. um, the uh, Our Lady of La Leche, Our Lady of the Milk, was right. the kind of the centre of that. So yeah, oh. and
0: some of Just the saints had images, visions. But be careful. <laughs> yeah, so Bernard of Claveau had uh, visions of Our Lady feeding him from her, her own breast, um, which f- feels a little bit scandalous to us today. But for a mystic who has uh, surrendered his life and is deeply spiritually. Um, surrendered to the Lord, that becomes she's she's our heavenly mother. She suckers us. She nurtures us. And so he had those visions. That wasn't my God moment, though. My God moment was a little bit more. For a sake. we were heading down to Canberra for a birthday party on the weekend and we'd had a busy week so we we really were thinking, oh, we probably should have sent our apologies, but we were so blessed by it. The speeches were out of this world. They were so meaningful, incredibly profound. We've just came away feeling so inspired and encouraged and a magnificent celebration with these friends of ours and so it's a it's a nice to be able to just acknowledge um, the contribution that they've these friends are still making to our lives, um, most recently through these incredible speeches. We might then, on that note, um, move into our topic. We're one week out from Christmas, as we are recording this, dear listeners, and Christmas is really peak time for all the joys and troubles associated with family traditions and rituals. Um, we've got those rituals that are adopted from a religious source, uh, like an advent wreath or church services or the home nativity. They all kind of have that sort of religious theming. And then there's just sort of the family of origin traditions, if you like, um, for example, around your know, traditions of presents, so you, who do you buy for, how much you spend and when are they opened and so on. Some of the memories are very rich and joyful and others um, can be fraught or a little bit stressful. And of course, it applies to Christmas, which we're in this sort of moving into that season now, but it also applies, a lot of what we'll talk about applies to Easter or Mother's Day and Father's Day birthdays and so on, all the different events in our calendar that can um, inspire our family traditions. So our discussion today will really focus on the relationships and how we respond to those family, extended family and immediate family in these seasons. So I wanted to initially just throw it open to you, Kiara, first. You're married seven years, you've got three young children, so a new family, um, lots of new traditions. How did you do it? How did you set it up or how are they evolving?
2: I mean, in some ways we had a bit of a scaffold already. Um, So Doug's Sister was already married and had sorted out sort of some some traditions, um, alternating Christmas and Boxing Day celebrations with fam with um between the two families. And my family has always done that, so we had some good sort of patterns that we could then consider and emulate going forward. And so we've done a similar thing with sort of get family gatherings over those uh, critical periods. And the other thing that's been really helpful is, you know, as I always remind myself and as many people as possible, is that Christmas is a season, not a day. Um, And so... You've got twelve days of Christmas. If it gets to the point where you can't, you know, where you know you can't do everything all on one day, well, you you were never supposed to. The whole celebration is supposed to be spread out over twelve days. So, adopting that mindset's been really helpful for just making sure we get some quality time, lower key quality time, um, with family members. Mm-hmm. At, you know, over the course over the course of the um, Christmas and New Year, going into the New Year period, and um, obviously we've got try and get to all the religious services. Um, and it's tricky with little, you know, with little kids, it's really easy to overwhelm them. So sometimes it's more about building in, you know, starting small and building up. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the best things, frankly, has been Advent in some ways. It's if you want to teach your kids the virtue of patience, Advent is fantastic because you can say, no, we can't watch that bluey episode of Christmas Swim because it's not Christmas yet. Um, no, we can't, you know. <laughs> Um, no, we can't do this because it's not Christmas yet. It's Advent. We're waiting. And um, that's really hard for a three-year-old. But they get it in a real visceral – but it's like the most visceral way you could actually mm. teach them about the benefits and the joys of waiting because then they just – because they get the high as well as the – you know, they get the, the celebration as well as the fast. Mm. And um
0: Laura, I want to get to you, but can we unpack that a little bit more, Kiara? Mm. Because it seems to me when we look at our culture is that we've really lost an appetite for waiting. Yes. And if we look at like all the parties, particularly here in Australia where you know, Christmas coincides with the end of school year. Uh, yeah. So there's there's always graduation, school graduations and um, you know, lots of Christmas parties and things like that. So the whole of Advent is actually celebrating the sort of stuff that we should be doing after in the season of Christmas, not in the season of Advent. But I think even as a culture, we're just not very good at waiting anymore. So um, I just wanted to reflect that back to you of how vital that is and we know from the research the the studies of psychology and the famous marshmallow experiment with the children that the children that could manage a delayed gratification were able to not eat the marshmallow straight away when they followed them up uh, later on in life they were actually doing much better because they learned that capacity for delayed gratification at a really young age and so it's sort of part of the same same kind of thing really isn't it Um, do you have any sort of insights or thoughts to add to that
2: yeah exactly and part of the thing is that i've been sort of noting is that yes it doesn't seem like a big deal to just flick on the christmas episode of the kid's favorite show whatever it is because they're begging for it but at the same time if you don't take those little moments when you can it is a big deal to a little kid it doesn't seem like a big deal to an adult but to a three-year-old it's a huge deal and when you see it from their perspective, you go, oh, actually, this is a really good opportunity to teach in a positive way those hard to teach virtues otherwise. So mm. it's you kind of have to see things through the eyes of a child in, in, in some ways. And the gimme, 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 gimme kind of way that our culture, our, real, our highly consumerist culture is, is really something that I, you know, sort of struggle with and just want to resist you know want to resist as much as i can and you know given all the excitement about christmas this is a prime opportunity you know maybe for some families they're you know at the you know at you know their backs against the wall and they're having a really rough year maybe that's not maybe this year is not the year to do that but
0: to do the heavy teaching yep
2: um but you know the opportunities for growth are phenomenal and it's a really good reminder to the adults too to you Mm. know make sure that they're going to behave like adults over the silly season so to speak, um, because adults are not you know—not always perfect. And there's nothing quite like seeing your mm. three or five-year-old go, "No, we're not going to do that right now because it's not Christmas yet. We have to wait for Christmas." That's and, a win,
0: isn't it? That's
2: yeah, a triumph.
0: I'm really yeah. conscious listening to you because I know the toddlers you're talking about, and yeah, you know, a three-year-old, their concept of time is still developing. They haven't had as many Christmases as we had. Um, you know, I'm in my 57th Christmas, I think it is. So it feels like they're just coming around really, really quickly for me. But for a three-year-old who's who can't even remember probably Christmas last year very well, uh, it's a really long time, Advent. Yeah. So it must seem like it stretches out. Laura, you've got a newborn almost, well, six months. So the first Christmas with a baby, um, yeah. what are you doing? How's it different to previous years?
1: Yeah, Um. well, sleep deprivation and <laughs> not being able to just do what we want and go to whatever, You know, midnight mass or thinking about Jason's needs as a first priority and then building our traditions or changing our traditions around that. I was actually like researching, there's a beautiful Facebook group called the Australian Catholic Mums Group. And kia I think you're on it as well. And (coughs) Fred, you're on it too, I think. And um, I was searching today actually like traditions for Christmas, um, and there were some great ideas of what young mums um or new mums do with their kids. One of them was having your nativity set and um asking the kids each day to do something nice or be generous and then placing a piece of straw in the crib oh yes straw for the baby jesus straw yes. for baby jesus to comfort the baby jesus in his crib so i thought that was beautiful and i was like oh i might i might choose to adopt that one and also somebody was saying that they like to have a birthday cake for jesus so just yes. you know, reminding the children, it's like somebody's birthday. It's our Lord's birthday, and we're going to celebrate with a cake for him. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. I think there are two things that we're going to adopt. But obviously, Jason being six months, it's <laughs> um, a few years off before he comprehends the meaning behind those traditions. But I used to love just when the life-size nativity scene at our local parish was put up. Um, Dad and Mum would take us to the front. It was at the front of the altar. And we would go up close and like, you know, kneel and look at all the characteristics of the statues. And we we always got given like 50 cents to put under baby Jesus's crib. <laughs> so I, I fondly remember that. And I think that would be, um, you know, a tradition that I'll continue with our family.
0: I haven't heard of the 50 cents under the crib. I'm, I'm, in our parish, I think the, the volunteers who put the crib up would just think they found a bonus. Yeah. Know?
3: I don't know if it was just my dad,
1: you know, giving us that to put under Baby Jesus' crib. I'm not it's sure. If it charity, did. yeah. <laughs> I hope it made its way to the poor box. I'm sure it did.
0: The in our family, I mean, it was you know 35 years ago that we had our first Christmas, and we lived literally between the two family homes. We were uh, walking distance to both of them, and we felt keenly the weight of expectations by our parents. Now, I don't think they were necessarily uh, being demanding, but we felt it. We interpreted it that way. So our first Christmas was a bit of a an exhausting affair. We tried to do everything with both families. We ran backwards and forwards three or four times and collapsed, hit the wall Sort of on the afternoon of Christmas Day, having been to two masses and up at midnight and up at the crack of dawn. So we decided the next year we definitely weren't going to do that. And it worked out very well because the next year we were in New York for about a year and a half. And so that Christmas, we were just on our own. And it became a, a lovely reset for us to think about what traditions we wanted to very intentionally adopt. And then the third Christmas. We were back in Australia and you had been born a month earlier, Kiara. So we had a newborn baby Mm -hmm. uh, for Christmas. And because everybody wants the newborn baby at their family celebration, but we had uh, determined that we would do one family each year and that that became much easier as other siblings married and established. They had in-laws that they needed to give time to those as well. So as that transitioned... With um, our siblings and then um, we were able to get a bit of a rhythm and that was that that was a a a kind of a a bit of a a growing up moment for us to really separate you know the whole idea in genesis of leaving mother and father and cleaving to the spouse that was really played out in a very concrete way for us it'd be around how we were going to celebrate Christmas and um it was quite a formative kind of moment in our in our marriage and family.
1: Grant, did you um put it out there to all the family like this is what we're going to do you know so like for instance in my family um my brother makes it clear that one Christmas will be with his wife's family and then the alternate Christmas is with our family so we're always like oh what was last year okay we've got (laughs) um James and Emily and their kids this year did you do anything like that so it sets expectations?
0: Yeah that model came in much clearer once other siblings married and i think it was about 3 years after we um were married that that the next sibling was off the cab off the rank but also when we had a baby we just came back and we said we're going to we're going to make decisions on the basis of what's best for our family on this day byron always had a very hard finish with his work commitments the quiet um projects wrapping up right up until the last day of Chris, you know christmas eve he was often working till six or seven o'clock, trying to wrap everything up. So we just decided that we weren't going to be held hostage by mostly expectations or interpretations of the expectations that we had made. So I want to be really clear that uh, you know our, neither of our families were bullish or demanding, but we read into it. I think we didn't want to disappoint them. And so we often put ourselves under pressure. That was perhaps not in the best interest of the family unit. So that was our third Christmas that was really when we started to get into a bit of a rhythm of of and and identifying um, the values of well what's going to be good for the kids because at the, the end of the day when the kids are really unhappy it's miserable for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so if they we're trying to conform the children around the adults needs and desires for, for a Christmas day celebration it just gets ambushed by grumpiness and tiredness and tantrums and so it became pretty clear very early on that to accommodate it to to optimize it for the experience and the peace with the children then everybody had a much better time. We got a lot simpler too as it went on I think that was the other big difference that we noticed is that in both of our families, in our in our growing up, very traditional in terms of the northern hemisphere traditions, the plum pudding that had to be hot with the brandy sauce or the brandy butter. In in Byron's family's case, you know the the hot turkey and the hot potatoes and the hot vegetables, and and that just never sat well in the hot Australian. Climate. And those traditions have been completely rewritten, I think, in our Christmases. There's still a bit of it in Byron's family. Like, if his parents host, you'll still get a lot of those things will be present, but they'll be supplemented also just by lots of, you know, fresh salads and, um, you know, chilled desserts and um, things that are more. Appropriate for the climate and simple so that we're not living in the kitchen all day and getting stressed and hassled, which is which is another, I guess, thing around is is just the, you want to create, you want to put some care into it because it takes effort, uh, you know, doing the tree and the building up and creating the space for the family traditions to emerge. But they should never rule us. They should be there to serve us. And so sometimes we need to be a little flexible about, you know what, this isn't going to work this year. You know, the kids are, we've got sick kids or whatever. So, you know, there goes the whole nativity build-up thing or the advent reef, whatever it was we had planned. Kiara, I don't know if you've had experiences. You're coming around for your Marianas 5 this week. so.
2: Yeah, I mean, this year's been a little bit. Of, this bit, this year's been a little bit. I've uh, been, I've been quite on the back foot because I submitted my thesis on that you, know, you know, the you know the first week of December. So you know, everything had already. I hadn't had a lot of time to sort of plan out, plan ahead, and get organised for the ad, like some of the Advent traditions. We did have an Advent. We've had an Advent wreath a few times, and you know, we always. I always try and have candles at dinner time anyway because I like candles and the girls enjoy you know blowing out candles um i think i'm going to get them a candle snuffer because it's getting a little too enthusiastic right now um,
0: wax and, all over your dinner
2: yeah <laughs> i mean look we've already finished dinner by the time we're blowing the candles out but because uh, again that's another thing you don't realize is a problem until you have toddlers is that toddlers can take forever to eat <laughs> so we have to go right candles out it's been 45 minutes you know it's been 45 minutes whatever's on your plate in your plate is getting cleared away eat whatever you want in that a lot of time because <laughs> <laughs> yeah otherwise dinner would take up take two hours <laughs> and um and so yeah so you know do advent candles uh we do like the the antiphons are great because they're a super last minute thing all you have to do is just Google what the O Antiphons are, and like sing them to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and like that's it. Like that's it's the, the last week.
0: It's ah. it's the short. It's the last week, isn't it? Before Christmas, so it's if you if you miss the beginning of Advent. <laughs> You can run in at the last post. <laughs>
2: exactly, and it's only for eight days. It's not, it's not a big deal. You can have, like, little decorations if you want, but you don't have to, um, and it's all in a hymn that everybody knows and loves, which is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, all of them there. You just have to look up the whole, the whole song, and then you just mm. sing a verse every night at dinner time, and away you go.
1: I love that song. I love that. That's a great tip. Yeah.
2: Mm. We've done, we did try Straw for the Baby Jesus one year, and it was a bit of a disaster because I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. They're really not good at being nice to each other. (laughs) Any time they're being nice to each other, it's probably accidental um, rather than deliberate. So that's probably a better one when you've got like slightly older kids or you've got an, an old, like, you know, your eldest is at a certain point. So we might try that next year. We have multiple nativity sets including multiple ones the girls can play with. So my mother-in-law actually knitted um, a nativity set and uh, we got a... Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we've got a little resin one and then I have my beautiful Italian style fancy one that I still have to set up because, again, I wasn't prepared for Advent this year. Having lots of things that they can interact with Mm -hmm. and, you know, to show that, you know, especially with little kids, like they love little figurines. So if you've got like Mm -hmm. little resin durable nativity figurines, fantastic, just put it somewhere where they can reach, help them set it up, explain who all the people are, tell them the story, and then let them, you know, engage with it on their own time. And, yeah, Mariana has some great conversations yeah. with the uh, nativity scene. Somebody usually ends up getting
1: crumpy at <laughs> something <laughs> and she puts her grumpy the, voice on. The um, little drop statues are really yeah, beautiful resin. Yeah, I mean, that's what we've got. Yeah, that, they're fantastic little um evangelization thing for kids
2: yeah, they
0: bounce when they hit the floor they do so I'm, I'm conscious that just listening to you speak ladies that in some ways these traditions whether it's for christmas or easter or mother's day father's day and so on they're really the foundation of the culture of the family culture the culture of the home and they in a really powerful way reflect and manifest the values that that which is really important to us. So, my question is that I'm thinking about is is how do we be sort of intentional rather than accidental around the formation of those traditions and the culture that's part of it? Because I know, reflecting back on our histories, is busyness was one of our biggest enemies, that it always felt like we were reacting rather than responding or or choosing or mapping out what we wanted to do it it just f- felt like most of what we did as a family was this desperate gasping quick do something before <laughs> the moment passes so i'm wondering if you've got some tips for our listeners around just being kind of intentional with these you know really important moments in the calendar where we can really seize the opportunity to create important family values anybody have some inspiration
1: yeah i think i'm um, scheduling time for the family like putting it in the calendar this is our time we're going to say no if we get any invitations we want to establish this as a tradition whether it's my husband being american whether it's thanksgiving or if you are from other places other than australia and you migrated here and you want to keep up that family of origin tradition if you're Italian or Lebanese or whatever you know Chinese or Vietnamese um each culture seems to have these beautiful traditions that I think I know I really appreciate um when I was older to get those English traditions or Irish traditions because that's part of my grandparents and where they're from and where mum and dad um mm-hmm. grew up too. So yeah, scheduling, putting things in the calendar, going, I want to make this a priority. And as you said, Fran, you could just otherwise you just get sucked up into the busyness of life. Um, if you don't actually, you know, put it in the calendar, we want to do this.
0: Mm, that's a good tip. And I'm thinking like those those cultural things really connect us to our deep ancestry, which is so important for our identity and our sense of of um, confidence and stability in this life is knowing that we've come from a whole line of ancestors who celebrated this way and who expressed their love for each other through these. Um, important rituals
1: i just going to an irish tradition there's a tradition called little christmas where on the feast of the epiphany all the women got to celebrate christmas because in you know traditionally they would be the ones with the heavy burden of preparing all the food and um, making the home look nice for christmas so on the feast of the epiphany it was time for all the women to get together and cheers one another on a, a job well done and I just that's think that's beautiful. Um, I've done that with my Irish friends. We went to a pub and you know had a drink on, on in January, and um, just the sisterhood, like, and sharing that um, time just together and no husbands, no kids. It was just, you know, the women having connected. Beautiful.
0: Mm, that is a nice. I, I really like that. And the epiphany, it's nice to link it to a religious feast as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, have you got some thoughts to share on that? Do, do you I mean, find it hard to let go of traditions? I'm conscious sometimes, sometimes we can almost hold our expectations so tightly it's almost like a religious conviction we feel like we're betraying ancestors if we let go of a, a you know so a, a tradition. i'm probably
2: the worst person to ask about that because i am not a sentimental person by nature so, I mean, for me, I can appreciate traditions and, I mean, I have maybe a small handful that I'm attached to, but really at the end of the day, I they're not worth blowing up. I mean, you've got to, you've got to ask a question of how important, is this so important that it's worth having a knockdown, drag out fight with the people you apparently love the most um, over this thing? Because <laughs> if the answer to that is no, then you need to kind of go... If the answer is yes, it's like okay, we've got some problems here. But if the answer is no, then that's what you got to. That's what you got to work. That's what you got to work with. And you know, so for me, it's not. It's not difficult to let go of traditions, yeah. um, in some oh. ways. Because ultimately they're supposed to serve a purpose. They're supposed to serve people, not we're not supposed to serve a ritual. The ritual is supposed to serve us. And so if it's not serving you or your family, it should be allowed to be let go or transformed into something that does. Because yeah. if they're or in you know, paused for that year. Because
1: it doesn't oh, yeah, work or, that you year. Know,
2: take a break from it, whatever it is. But You kind of need to give yourself permission and remind yourself that the the ritual should serve your family, not the other way around. The only exception to that, of course, is going to mass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If there are some non negotiables.
1: Even if you have to walk two kilometres up a hill.
0: I've always been really impressed with you, Kiara, just when you pray night prayers with the children. Like you have a bit of a format and a rhythm, but you're very relaxed and flexible about. You know, kids are doing headstands and somersaults and, you know, one's needing to go to the toilet in the middle, and uh, which is really typical with young children. <laughs> uh, but so there's a, there's a really lovely balance of just there's a persistence, like you're not going to surrender nighttime prayers because they're all over the place. But you're not going to be so rigid about it that you chastise the children because they can't sit still throughout the prayers. And I think that's a really nice, a nice balance. It speaks to your point about The rituals there to serve the people, not the other way around. So thank you for that. Listeners, we might take a quick break. So we'll be back
3: shortly. We're going to dive in a little bit
0: deeper when we come back after this short break.
3: It is easy to get discouraged when there is disconnection in our marriage. Arguments over petty incidents, too busy to romance each other, crowded with other responsibilities. All marriages go through periods where we need a breakthrough in our relationship. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course will teach you how arguments happen, how to manage them better or avoid them altogether, understand your internal drivers and how your spouse is triggering you, process the pain of past injuries, making you stronger and less reactive. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course can be done by a couple or by an individual who is in a marriage that is in distress. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough to enrol today. Gift certificates are also available should you want to purchase the course for a friend or family member.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations and we've been talking about the good, the bad and the ugly of holiday traditions. Um, We're now going to explore it a little bit more. We want to, I guess, focus a little bit more on the ugly part of it, the the parts of family traditions that cause us pain and grief, and a lot of this stems from our family of origin, from childhood wounds or frustrations, memories that might be quite painful. Some of us came from a troubled childhood, and so we don't have that bank of joyful, happy memories from our childhood. And so approaching a time like Christmas or Easter, you know, it was often periods associated with times of tension and and arguments sometimes get a little more frequent when families are troubled. And so we just thought we'd, we'd spend a little bit of time exploring how our, these, these peak times of family traditions can actually be painful for us. So uh, the first one, I, I guess, to focus on is that comes to mind, and I don't know if you ladies have, have some ideas or some thoughts on this, is that when you've lost somebody, And there's always the first year where there's the first of everything. There's the first Christmas, there's the first Easter, the first birthday, the first anniversary and so on. And so that first year can be particularly painful for people where they're really feeling the absence of this loved one in their lives. And uh, my mind goes straight away to a friend of ours. Actually, Hugh and, and Sue Dixon were one of the founders of the Smart Loving Marriage Seminar here in Australia. They worked with us 30 two years ago to establish it in Australia and Hugh died uh, less than a week ago after a long battle with cancer and so we're very mindful of Sue and her family that'll be doing Christmas for the first time without Hugh they'd been married over 60 years so it's a long life together to now be facing life without Hugh by her side I don't know do you have any reflections you'd like to add
1: yeah I think for my own husband Joe he lost his mum a few days after Christmas and so for him I think coming to Australia where it's not a white Christmas it's hot um, different smells different uh, traditions around in terms of what you eat and that that kind of helped him but I know when he goes back for Christmas it's somebody's missing there and it's very obvious because oh the smells are the same and the weather is the same and the mm. environment is the same but mum's not there so yeah I and I know that for Charlie Joe's dad it's it can be a very painful time of the year as well yeah you have to find just uh, you know new new ways to cope and try and enjoy the the mm. Christmas spirit um but if, with mm. a great sense of
3: loss
0: yes yes and I think sometimes the uh, Christmas, particularly Christmas, can be a really nice time to bring some of that pain to the Lord. One of the things that we used to do on our marriage seminar with Sue and Hugh actually was um, what we called a Bethlehem prayer as part of the kind of prayerful meditative wrap up for a family of origin activity. So the activity involved kind of really combing through your history, your family history, to look at to bring to the to bring to the surface and bring to your awareness of the different ways that you were formed by your parents in terms of the model of marriage, but then also more directly by any wounds that you might have received either through an absence or a, a deficit in a relationship or through direct things that might have been said or done to you by particularly parents, but also siblings and other key carers or family members. And then to bring that pain in a meditative sense to the holy family at Bethlehem, because in some ways they encompass and represent to us the perfect piece of a family that's deeply, deeply holy. And so the meditation leads participants to just imagine themselves at the scene and approaching a member of the Holy family and letting that member minister to them in whatever sense of lack or, or pain or deficit they have. And it was really powerful. We had beautiful stories and testimonies from people who were able to have a very real encounter with a member of the Holy family. Uh, so that's something, you know, listeners, that if you do have a sense of of pain around this time of year, to use to use the occasion rather than fleeing from it and saying to yourself, I'm not going to think about it, I'm going to bury it and, you know, think about something else. Uh, Maybe, you know, this might be the year for you to take those painful memories and bring them to the Holy Family and ask ask the Lord through the Holy Family to bring you some peace and healing and consolation.
3: Yeah, I was just thinking as well, Fran,
1: in terms of setting up our own traditions with our family, now we've got a child, perhaps a candle, lighting a candle for a deceased loved one and, you know bringing them up not ignoring the fact that they're absent um mm. from the table obviously you know we believe them to be part of the communion of saints and in heaven and but to say prayer for them as well would be a mm. beautiful tradition to establish at all those big you know easter christmas mother's day father's day whatever it is maybe that's a beautiful way to honor them
0: yes yeah yeah you got some thoughts to add
1: I just remember from
2: our tree the Christmas decorations you made. You had photos of family members as little decorations, including ones that had died. And you know, thinking of that now, like you literally have your family tree in the living room. Um, and just that's another little way that you know that provides opportunities for conversations about, oh, Mum, who's this? And you know, just gets to spontaneous opportunities to talk about Mm -hmm. you know your family history and especially because we've got photo like we've got photographs now like amazing that's a that's an amazing technology we have and we should probably like make use of it a little more and And were uh, were they Christmas baubles like with the photo on or were they no 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 they were literally little cards with the photo on them and maybe they had some glitter on them once um but you know they'd been there so long that most of that had fallen off um and yeah it was just literally photos stuck on a little frame of a card and then hooked onto the tree it was nothing fancy but it was you know it was just nice you could Mm -hmm. see nice photos of you know, your family members in their peak years, so to speak. Yeah,
3: beautiful.
0: Actually, I didn't make them. Your godmother, Tina, made, oh, them, Tina for made us, them for us when we were in New York that second year. And she sent them over by by post, which was um, a really, really lovely gesture that connected us with the family that we'd left. It was the other side of the world. So it was a very thoughtful, thoughtful gift. And, you know, we did use them for years and years. We, we don't have a complete set anymore. But... There's a great business product for somebody. Um, yeah, send your photos and we'll send you back a set of Christmas ornaments, perhaps printed on um the ceramic disc. I think you can get that now. you can get custom printed things yeah. onto um your your Christmas ornaments. That would be you know just a lovely, a lovely way to bring particularly those deceased members, but also just far-flung members, you know if they've moved overseas or you've moved from overseas to connect with your, um, your family and be, you know, mindful of their contribution and presence. Great idea. Ooh. Business opportunity there. Um, So thank you. Thank you. They're great, great sort of thoughts there, ladies. We might now just have a look at a practical take-home that we could give to our listeners, uh, something that they can uh, adopt and to help advance their advance their marriage and family life in this area, I'm going to suggest a bit of a traditions audit. Good times, I think, to do this would be if you're experiencing tension around this time of year, whether if you're having some arguments or disagreements with your spouse or with your extended family around what you're expected to do uh, or what you should do uh, at Christmas or at Easter or any one of those significant events. Or the other really important time would be if you're going through a measure of transition. So if you've got young children who are now getting to school age and are capable of something else, you've got teenagers moving, coming in. Sometimes those transitions need to have back and have, take a, adapt our traditions and think about, well, what's going to work for um, our family in this new stage? So. What would be, ladies, what would you suggest? What would be the key steps or the key questions our listeners would do as part of this Traditions Audit?
1: I think uh, sitting down with your husband or wife and saying, okay, what do we want our Christmas Day or our Easter to look like? What would it feel like to you in an ideal world? Um, And talking through that um, and setting up expectations so you're on the same page.
0: Mm -hmm. Good. What about you, Kiara? What would you suggest?
1: Um, I think you probably ought to just do the grunt work of
2: listing all the things that you do do and then going through the list and going and thinking about each sort of activity or item or, you know, event or whatever it is and just asking the question of is this serving our family or are we serving it and have a tally at the end of it from then can make a decision about and be intentional about oh well this kind of isn't really working for us at the stage that we're in we've got all little kids or whatever but i'd like to persist with it anyway because it's teaching these things are really important to our family or um or you or you know maybe it's the case of great great grandmother will actually have a heart attack and die if we are not there (laughs) at christmas day kind of thing like whatever those constraints might be it's um having it all laid out in a written list or written in in some written form Mm -hmm. just allows you to see it and take a step back to and kind of dissociate from the emotion Mm -hmm. a little bit. And then you can make a better decision for your family about what's going to work and what you want to experiment with. Mm -hmm. If you know, you're coming into a new stage of life, like you've got teenagers or your kids have flown the coop and have their own families and you might suddenly find yourself all by yourself on Christmas day. You know, what do you do? Yeah. Um, and I'm
0: just listening to you speak, I'm thinking of a quote and I can't remember who said it, it was at a conference uh, and they said traditions are experiments that worked. And so to approach a new tradition, it, you don't have to set it in stone and make it a lifelong commitment. Uh, experiment, be a little bit flexible, try something new. And if it's working, well, then make it a tradition, make it something that can happen year after year. Uh, so you're really saying, I guess, a, a bit of a cost-benefit analysis that's part of the audit to take, look at each item, look at each thing you're doing. And the thing that I'm thinking of straight away is do not try to do this in the week before Christmas when it's the pressure's already mounted. Uh, take some time well in advance of the event, whether it's Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversary, birthdays, out of the heat and the pressure of the event. To just step back and do that sort of evaluation across cost-benefit analysis. I think another really good aspect of it can be is to dive deep into your family of origin because that they are our experiences in our childhood is really very influential, often at a subconscious level, in terms of our dreams and hopes and expectations. And so sometimes looking back a little bit beyond earlier than our most recent history can give us a little bit of insight into. Why we have such a an affinity for a particular practice or an aversion for a particular practice. So, to bring that reflection of your family of origin inheritance, I think can also be a really valuable contribution to that. And then, of course, listeners, it's have a good conversation about it. Do do a little bit of work. Set aside about an hour. Make half of that time or or twenty minutes of that time in personal individual reflection, and then come together and share what you've learned. Shroud it in prayer is always really helpful. Um, sometimes these conversations can be sensitive and a little bit uh, difficult. So it's always a good thing to have our Lord there guiding our conversation. So that brings us to almost the end, listeners. We want to just do our quick Q&A and then we'll do our bless you. So this this week, our question we had a, a priest inquiring on behalf of a couple from his parish uh, just last week. The couple was in crisis. They had reached out to some of the Catholic counselling agencies, but there was a four month wait. They're in very high demand. And so he was looking for some advice. Laura, you answered the, the call. Are you able to fill in our listeners into what you suggested?
1: I suggested that in the interim, before they can you know find counselling, there's a wonderful course In smart loving called breakthrough and it's actually designed to be done by the individual spouse so it doesn't have to be done by the couple all the activities can be done um are designed to be done by an individual so um the other thing that is a new development with breakthrough is we were finding we're getting feedback from leaders that um a couple in that kind of distress uh, it's quite hard to be motivated to be to to work your way through lessons of an online course by yourself. So breakthrough now has a companion track where the person in distress can ask a trusted person to journey through with a journey through the lessons um, and accompany the person so that uh, they would do the lessons in their own home, the companion would do the lessons in their home and then they would meet after each lesson to just the companion, guided by program uh, or by what we call the companion guide, is got a bit of a structure to support that person who who needs it. So, if you think if you've got anyone you know that is in a marriage is in distress, perhaps they've come to you for a cup of tea and you know to share. What they're going through, you might want to think about uh, becoming a companion. Or she was on the other foot, and you're really in need of some hope and healing for something that's happened in your marriage. Or you might just be at a stalemate, and you're just uh, triggering each other, and you know, just getting can't seem to connect. Um, Breakthrough might be great to do, you know. And you can ask a trusted friend or. Deacon or a priest or um, another family member or somebody um, you know to journey with you.
3: Mm,
0: Thanks, thanks, Laura. We're really excited, listeners, about the Companion Program, and we're um, doing a drive in the new year to recruit leaders and ministers uh, to train as companions to be available in their communities to accompany. Uh, spouses in distress marriages through the Breakthrough Program. It's a short sort of term intervention, so it's not uh, displacing counselling. It's like an interim measure to provide some pastoral support, and prayer, and guidance for the for the person in sort of distress while they wait for counselling to become available, or while they work out what their next right. steps are to be. So, um, and just to be
1: clear, you don't need to be a counsellor to be a companion. You just that's need right. to, um, you know, journey with that person and pray for them and be willing to follow the guide that has been created by Smart Loving.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Laura. That's great. We're about to sign off. But before we go, we'd like to leave a blessing with you, listeners. Kiara, what's your blessing today?
2: Oh, the Oantiphons are a blessing in this, are a little blessing in this house. Um, we've got little ornaments that we hang on the tree, and um, that's our after dinner ritual. The girls fight over who gets to hang the thing on the tree so we're taking we share by taking turns it's just nice to see them really excited about it um Teresa keeps picking the three-year-old sorry keeps picking them up picking up all the little ornaments and running around going is it this time yet and um the answer is usually no not yet after dinner and uh, it's just it's just nice going. It's, it's a beautiful hymn, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And um, it's a deep, deep tradition in the church in the liturgy of the hours. So it's a really good way. If you've never prayed the liturgy of the hours, this is a really, really good little taste of it from you know, the you. universal prayer of the church.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll put some uh, links in the notes, listeners, to those. Laura, what about for you? What's your bless you?
1: I mentioned um, the Little Drop resin statues. So I've got some of those little statues for my godchildren. So if you're looking for something for your godchildren or for your own children, um, just look up Little Drops. They have all like, you know, angels, saints, um, the Last Supper figurine. So and nativity sets, uh, just really un- unbreakable. I wouldn't say maybe unbreakable, but less breakable than you.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're pretty robust.
1: Yeah, you can bounce them and the kids can really play with them. and It's <laughs>
0: so, very yeah. cute. And, and my bless you, listeners, is just a, a new resource I found. It's called The Theology of Home, and it's founded by a couple of women. I think they're Catholic theologians, but with a really firm grounding in the domestic church. So just a beautiful, inspirational website. They have a daily newsletter with just interesting articles and thoughts, not all their own content. Uh, there's, and then they have a shop as well with lovely things for the home and inspiration for those of us who are homemakers or part-time homebakers, whether we're full-time or part-time, just to really help us and encourage us as women to, uh, and I suppose fathers as well, but particularly particularly women and mothers, to uh, create the domestic church and a home that really nourishes our family spiritually as well as physically. So that brings us to the end of our time together. You can find more information, including all the links to these blessings, uh, show notes, and more at slash conversations. That's slash conversations. I'm Francine Parole with my co host Laura Kane, and also with special thanks to our guest Kiara Black. Wonderful to have you all here today sharing with us, and we pray that you listeners will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints, Our Lady Undoer of Knots. Pray Pray for for us, us. St John Paul II. Pray Pray for us. This is Smart Loving Conversations. Good